What does it take to make workshops work? And how can we facilitate collaboration that sticks and leads to results? My name is Miriam Happiness, and with the Workshops Work podcast, I'm on the mission to find the magic ingredients that make workshops work. Today with me on the show are Tennyson Wolf and Juanita Waberson. Both have been individually on the show, and today we tackle a very juicy question and a very big one. In times like these, coming out of a pandemic, still being in and into a war close to Europe, what does facilitation actually mean? And what can it serve and cannot? So stay tuned. And by the way, if you don't have pen and paper at hand to take your own notes, scroll down to the show notes to download my free one-page summary. And now, be ready to be inspired. Anita and Tennyson, welcome back. Mm-hmm. I, I've interviewed both of you separately and brilliant, absolutely inspiring editions. And uh, usually you work together. So having you together on a show is just such a natural thing to do. And maybe we can just start with an opening question in these crazy times <laughs> where we thought we just came out of a pandemic, which is still running. And three minutes later, entered into a war at the doors of Europe. What does facilitation mean to you in these times? What a question. <laughs> are you going, Quinita, or are you thinking what's happening? There? I'm thinking you go. <laughs> right, I'm going to go then. So say it again. What does all of that, the crazy times, have to do with facilitation? What does facilitation mean? And maybe I can just give a little bit of context on where my sure. question comes from. Yeah. And this is super real because I always, my phrase was always, we can change the world one workshop at a time. Mm-hmm. And I meant it and I mean it. And looking around me, I wonder whether I can still claim that with a good conscience. So I always thought that if our leaders had better facilitators, if they would actually listen to each other and try to make sense and apply all these tools that we embrace and live, could this situation in which we are in, and maybe even the previous situation of how we dealt with the pandemic, would have been possible to avoid that? So the question was, what is the role of facilitation in these times? And where did it go wrong? Could we have prevented it? Now, are you ready, Quinita? <laughs> yes, I can pick it up. I think you are. <laughs> I can do. I can do a round. That's good. So, first of all, I uh, the first thing that catches my attention is in these crazy times, as if all times haven't been crazy. <laughs> you know, so that like catches my attention. Let's not kid ourselves. Just because we couldn't see it, maybe before doesn't mean that we weren't in crazy times anyway. And I think that speaks to your question around preventing. Could we have prevented this? I think my first answer is yes, of course. (laughs) In some ways, because yes, of course, and maybe no, right? (laughs) Like both are true. Like, I think we always, we've had choices along the way that we've made. Each of us, all of us, individually and collectively, that have led us to exactly where we're at right now. Now, if we would have made different choices, 
we could end up someplace different. And the reason why I say no, of course not, as well, is hmm. if we so often it's easy to look back and say, well, if I could have done it over, I would have done this. But you wouldn't have because you would have had the same information that you had then and you would have made the same choices. So I think both are true. I think that it can teach us something, though, about the choices that we make going forward. Because then if we really are more conscious that each step of the way we're making choices. Now, this piece around facilitation and can we change the world one facilitation at a time? I hope so. I think so. But probably not as we have been holding it. I think so often the majority of facilitation that I've experienced has been holding it with as if the tools are the most important things. And they're not. The being is the most important thing. Because you can't take somebody someplace you haven't been. So, so many of our facilitators haven't done their own deep healing work. So how on earth do they think they're going to take leaders to those places? If the leaders are even open to being in the space. And I actually think it's the way that as facilitators, we actually betray the people we're holding every time, you know, in those spaces where we're not willing to go, where we're not willing to heal, where we think we can take someone else or we think we can give someone else. You know, we think, I think I can offer love, kindness, peace to you and hold space for that when I don't have it for myself. And those are the places that I think I go when I'm thinking about that question. Okay, I'll pick it up from there. And that sound for me, that is a, a, a bit of a response to the thickness of these kinds of questions. So you started off with some big, thick questions, Miriam, and I'm, I'm going to applaud that. I think we should be in thick questions with one another. It is a time to develop our ability to be able to be in the complexity together or the rawness together, the realness together. I think of it as some of the undenying qualities within ourselves. So uh, that's where that sound is, uh, comes from for me. And now I feel like there's already, you know, a dozen things. So I'm probably going to pick three of them to respond to here or contribute a little bit more to as the three of us are in a, in a connection and in a conversation. So Miriam, when you name the kind of slogan style of, you know, one workshop at a time, or uh, I, I, I'm drawn to that kind of language. And when I say that, I have to say, I don't know. Like, I want to believe in the goodness that we contribute. But I find I, I seem to need, need to reframe that just a little bit. It's a different image. Like, there, there's something in me that almost needs to feel something a little messier, but hopefully as impactful, let's say. So, I hope that we contribute good. What has facilitation got to do with any of that? You know, I hope that in the very basics of what many of us are doing, I'll, I'll return myself to the basics. If we can create context where we turn to one another, and let's even make the contrast as opposed to turning away, where we have an added quality of listening. I like to think of it as speaking into a center. 
as opposed to not really listening and just regurgitating words in front of one another or slogans, I like to think that we can, you know, we can do some good. So this is the piece that I love in getting to be a, a person who does facilitations of many, many forms. Sometimes it's a small group of people that want an hour together. And sometimes it's a small group of people that want five days together. And sometimes it's a large group that, you know, has a couple of hours and sometimes a large group that has more time. If we are able to invoke a humane quality, no, not perfect, but just a, a more humane quality with one another, I want to believe that that is doing some good and it might do some good at programmatic layers, but I think it also, maybe more significantly, it, in my belief system, it might do some good in kind of a, a, an energetic groove in the world. Mm. I want to believe that when we you know, cast a pebble in the pond, that that ripple does something. And for me, the ripple is grounded in some pretty strong values around, you know, a, a connection with one another, an ability to learn with one another, an ability to be in some kindness with one another. Now, having said all of that, uh, Quinita, you and I were in this conversation within the last couple of days here around escalations. And it's a, you know, it's a wondering for me of when we live in times where the pattern seems to be escalation, escalation of reaction, escalation of violence, escalation. Like if we're going to escalate, let's escalate some other things. Love being one of them, right? But you and I were talking about this and I, and I feel like there's a pattern in the world right now that is so emphasized or labeled by escalation. This person did this. So that means another person needs to do this. Like we just keep upping the ante in the game and that's playing out also at grand political and geopolitical levels. So I can't wrap my brain completely or my heart completely around some of the broader global patterns here. But without withdrawing from all of that, what I find myself coming back to is what is the good or the peace that I can contribute right here, right now? So let me pull it down, you know, into the silliness of the simple. A guy comes to my door this morning. It's morning where I am and uh, wasn't expecting anybody. He rings the doorbell and I go to the door and kind of look at him and he's looking at me both a little bit confused. He's some kind of repair guy. And uh, it wasn't my place that he was supposed to come to. And so we looked at each other a little confused and you know, try to just solve this little mini problem. And he pulls up his phone with an address on a service order and he shows it to me and I, I hold his phone and I enlarge it a little bit so I can see it and uh, notice, oh, he's got one number off in the address. So it's not this street, you know, it's, it's four blocks over kind of stuff. And uh, we just had this little moment of smiling with one another. Like we just did this tiniest little thing of reorienting or correcting the pattern and did it in a kind way. There was no need to be in any offense. 
I think simple little things like that, simple little pebbles in the pond can contribute to the broader ripple of facilitation, doing good, peace in the world, peace within our own inner beings. Okay, so back to the sound. There's a lot that's here. But that's where I start with some of the, you know, the wonderings and wanderings about the big of it and also the small right here of it. And what I hear is in both of your contributions is the relevance of empathy and being human. So, and the empathy only being able to be present, really present, if we have been where we want to take the person or the group. Because I think as we can only really relate if we've been there. And only then we can really hold the, the space and be human together and have these conversations. And this is then has an impact on the small and the large scale. And then I wonder whether this escalation is, is it something that we have unlearned maybe or the finding peaceful solutions, even the small example that you shared, Tennyson, with the phone and the misalignment on the address could escalate, could turn into an argument, um, even standing in line in the grocery shop and being impatient can turn into a fight. So is the escalation on a more global, on a higher political level, just the reflection of what's happening in the micro level? <laughs> yeah, or vice versa also, right? Like and, has the, and had this to do with our inner peace or in a, our inner calm? Hmm. I find myself having to be in this conversation in a different way as a Black woman. You know, first of all, we're always contributing. So I agree, like Tennyson was speaking to that piece about like, we're always contributing. We can't show up and not be part of the whole. <laughs> so we're always contributing and either we're contributing in a helpful way or whatever that's seen in the moment or in a way that expands or a way that contracts, let's say it that way, and what we're contributing. Tennyson talks about the turning to each other, which I do an awful lot of work of getting people to turn to each other. So it's not that I'm against that. <laughs> I think that is a what? good thing. <laughs> and I think lots of facilitators do that and have been doing that and trying to get people to turn to each other. And I think we get these warm, fuzzy experiences because we turn to each other. But the piece that we're not doing is we're not turning in to ourselves. And so we expect people to be able to have that when they turn to each other, but we're missing a, a step first. You have to turn into yourselves first. And then when you turn to each other, you have something to offer, something deeper, something more. You've discovered something about yourself. You can see maybe how they're reflecting you. But the piece that we've lacked is the willingness to turn into ourselves. The other piece that I think around this escalation piece, some of what's been happening needs some escalation. Mm. And I actually think it's the opposite that has been the problem, that we have such a Eurocentric culture that has been afraid to take on the hard issues. And so it's burying and burying and burying and burying, and then it shows up as an explosion. And then we're upset that it's exploding. 
<laughs> but when you spent so long not tending to, then that's what happens to the volcano. Do you refer then to the Black Lives Matter movement after George Floyd as one example? Yes, I mean, of course, that's an example, I think. But I, but I think lots of things happen in that way, that we get an opportunity to tend to it as a whisper first. Mm. You know, like somebody irritates us or something at work, right? <laughs> or or we're not quite, you know, standing, telling our boss what we need. And then it happens again and we still don't say anything. And then it happens again and we still don't say anything. And then the 10th time, you always do this. We explode with the whole, you know, <laughs> we're, we're like pissed, right? Because we've, yeah. we've tried to be too polite with each other that we haven't been real. And so one of the things about the explosions in places that I love is it's freaking real mm -hmm. at times. You know, we can do that FOSS too, right? We can do the FOSS explosion. But this piece about how do we start to tend to things and first of all, tend to ourselves to get clear about what for us is worth exploding up over and, and what is. And how can we approach it without exploding? I think it's why don't we approach it? Why do we avoid conflict? I think that a big part is fear of rejection, fear of being judged, fear of the consequences. So we swallow, 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 don't do anything until we explode. Although if I understand you correctly, and that's what I totally agree with, if I would feel comfortable about myself, my belief system, my values, mm -hmm. I would be able to address the conflict at the first time in a non-explosive manner. Well, I think you have a greater capacity to do that. I don't think that we always are able to do that. And like I said, I think there's a question about what for you is worth exploding over. I don't necessarily take explosion as a bad thing always, you know? And I think that we've gotten into a culture though, mm. because there's been such denial And I will say in lots of um, cultures of color, it's not as, as avoided as in Eurocentric cultures that we've been in such a pattern of the avoidance that the explosion feels like freedom for people. And in some ways is. <laughs> and so it's like that then to me is what is wanting to be tended to. Like if I'm, if I'm tending to within myself, my own pieces of freedom and how I've contributed to not speaking in those times or feeling invisible to others because I wasn't seeing myself in the first place, you know, that it's asking, mm -hmm. I guess, like, I want more. I want more than just turning to one another. I want people to turn inside themselves. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of things that I hear in what you're sharing, Quinita, that are part of the work that we do. And you have a way, I think, of being able to nuance it, you know, maybe make the unseen a little bit more seeable, which is a pretty good thing to do in facilitation work. I would add a couple of things here that I think are part of what we're talking about here. One is the, the basic message, Quinita, that you and I often speak with people is, is to value this inner, deep inner work. And so... Yes, to the turning to one another, but you just you just sort of clarified a little bit for me. It, it is turning to one another with the assumption 
that you're in the midst of doing your own work. You have some depth to offer or some understanding to offer or some compassion to offer that isn't just going through the motions of being around a table or in a circle knee to knee, that kind of stuff. So that's one of the things that I love, Miriam, about the work that Quinita and I are doing, which includes like our you know 16-month cohort, which is a deep, deep, deep inner dive. Like, let us develop that quality. That's one thing. I think we're speaking about a couple of things here. And one layer of it for me is the emotional field. Like I would suggest there is a cumulative or something like that emotional field where a person who might not normally be a reactive person is all of a sudden because it's just going on like that. It's in the wind. It's in the air. It's in the waters. There's some of that. So I want to name the like whatever that is, psychological field, the energetic field, that kind of stuff that seems to have, you know, more density in it, let's say. But the other thing, and this was coincidentally for me reading it this morning, one of my uh, dear friends and teachers in life has been a woman named Christina Baldwin, circle practitioner at so many layers. And Christina writes thoughtful blogs. And today her blog included a very strong can't remember what the title of the blog was, but the, the content was around what you do with bullies, like stopping bullying. And she's putting in Putin as a reference and some other contexts also. She's outstanding at sort of taking that big principle and, you know, bringing it back to when she was a fourth grader and encountered a bully at school. So one of the things she's naming is how we take a stand against bullying. So if you don't take a stand, in other words, in our conversation here, if you don't have an explosion, you see, it's, it's hard for me to use that word. So I'm going to I'm going to just notice that, but then play it a little bit differently here. The point is, if we just let bullying go on and let bullying go on, you know, then you get assholes that do things that have big impact. And so what I'm hearing in what some of what you're saying here, Quanita, is we take the stand. It is not enough to just show up with kindness with one another. We have to call bullshit bullshit and bullying bullying. And even that becomes the topic of how we show up with one another and how, you know, how we act, not just think about, but how we act. So I wonder about that. Like not all conflict, not all tension is the same. But in the way that Christina was writing it this morning was, hey, when we're talking bullying, this is a particular pattern that needs some interruption. I'll pause there. And I would like to pick it up and dig a little yeah. bit deeper, if I may. Mm. I'm intrigued and I wonder if I hear correctly. So, yes, calling bullying bullying, not just ignoring the bullshit to avoid a conflict. How can we then talk to assholes? So is it from a place of kindness, a, acknowledging that there must be hurt and need healing and otherwise they wouldn't do that? Because in general, we are all good. Everyone is good. Nobody wants to be the asshole. Nobody stands up and wakes up in the morning and say, oh, today you're going to be this nasty person that everyone hates. I think everyone has unless they're a psychopath. Everyone usually has best intentions or best excuses 
for the, that would excuse and explain their behavior. Mm -hmm. So how do we talk to them? Is it compassion or is it naming it? And how can we facilitate this conversation for us and for others? If I pick that up, you know, one of the things I have, I've coached a lot of people <laughs> over the years and I'll have people come and they have a particular issue with someone and they assume that the first thing I'm going to tell them is to go talk to that person. And usually I said, oh no, that's the last thing you need to do. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because in that moment, their focus is on the other person and not on themselves. Their focus is on what they think that other person needs to hear, not what it is they need to speak. And those are two very different things because tied up and what we think that person needs to hear is all kinds of judgment and fear and scarcity that we're not even aware of. It's not clean until we can show up and speak like Christina was talking about around show up and take a stand for what it is we have to say and what honors us in that place, in their presence. It doesn't matter how they take it or not because the center of gravity isn't on them, it's on us. And I think that that makes all the difference. So often we go into these conversations and it's... Uh, The best way that I know how to speak it is it's not clean because we think we can know what they need to hear. And we're not their God. We have no idea what they need to hear. But if we really get that we're connected to each other, that then if I'm speaking what I need to speak, what I have to speak just to get it out of me, to be expressed, then lo and behold, it is what they need to hear because we're connected. And that's the only piece I can know. I can only know what I need to, to say to get, be expressed. That's what I would contribute to that question. I think there's different scales here. Because, Quinita, the narrative that you bring forward and that is so much a part of what we get to do with one another, it legitimizes the deep inner journey. You know, cultivate your own quality of peace or your relationship with it. And maybe back to Miriam, what you had said earlier, I don't feel that one a person needs to be perfect in what they've done with all of that. It's not like waiting for that one perfect day when suddenly you can encounter others in a better way. I just think you need to have a relationship with your own interior. So if it's your own anger or your own depression or your own rage, you need to have some awareness of what that is, how it lives within. And then I think that enables us to encounter the outer in a you know, healthy way or a healthier way. That's one thing. So Quinita, what I hear is the spiritual narrative or energetic narrative, if you will. We're not just trying to move pieces around or parts around and, you know, navigate or manipulate the moving of parts that create a solution. We're, we're talking about a much, you know, more complex, I would say, complex and rich energetic field. And personally, I'm more interested in that energetic narrative or that spiritual narrative. That's the layer of change and awareness that I want to bring my being to. Yay. So, you know, even in the most air quotes, mundane of environment facilitation environments, 
I still want to bring even just a pinch of that kind of awareness into the room. You know, I hope we get all of our stuff done. But if I don't bring some of that pinch in of that energetic quality, then I feel like, oh, one, I haven't done really what I wanted to do with them or to what I think is really useful, even a nudge in a different direction of what's useful. That's that's a big narrative, I would say. And I'm glad that we get to create and be in all of that, right? Second thing here, though, is that I need to pull it down because not all circumstances are the same. If you're beating up my kid in the backyard, I'm going to come in and stop you. I'm not talking about, you know, having a conversation and and even empathizing. I might get to that later, Miriam, about why that person is beating on my kid. But you're beating on my kid. I'm going to come in hard and, you know, put a stop into that right now or do my best to put a stop into that right now. And this is where it gets, you know, scaled in a way that is complicated. You got Putin as a leader of a powerful nation invading a country, a sovereign country in such a bullying way. So some of us, I know for me, I am not on the front line. I can put out a peace message into the world, and I think that is mine to do. But then there's others that need to face tanks, you know, in the city. And that's a different kind of encounter. So all of these, I think, weave together. But I I know I don't want to just get sort of stuck in a, a, you know, human goodness wondering. That's where I tend to go, as you described it, Miriam. There's always a reason. And I do believe that genuinely. Why? People act as they do, why I act as I do, all of that. But there's when shit's going down, there's times when we just put a stop to it or do our best. You know, that's somewhere in there. I think that's where I was speaking to about the escalation Mm -hmm. is that and there are times you have to decide what is worth to you. Like, you know, someone's beating on your kid, you're going to go out (laughs) and to put a stop to it. Right. Like that's Mm -hmm. something that you decide is worth showing up for in that way. And that we each have to choose that piece for ourselves. And that's why I think for me, the inner work, wherever it starts, because at first, of course, it's not, we all start at different places or, and it never ends either, right? So there's no perfect in it. But even like starting to look will bring up, of course, people, I believe, who will challenge those pieces that you're working on in the moment. And that willingness to go in and to, explore even just that I want to, you know, start offering something every place I go, whether it's a poem, whether it's a prayer, that that even just that small piece of living from I can contribute everywhere I go changes things. It changes the whole picture, right? And if you have a bunch of people doing that, it changes the field too, right? And so these pieces that no matter what scale we're looking at, Mm. that piece about, I think it comes down to I matter. And not in a way of, I have to make you see that I matter, but I matter. And when I know that, when I know that the room is different because I'm in it, Mm. then I know that the room is different because you're in it. And that opens up a different thing. All right, Miss Miriam, you started with all these thick questions and now we're in it. What's stirring? I want to come back. Like what's stirring in you now? 
Thank you for asking. And I spoke out the question. I was like, oops. <laughs> and then I thought, if they're two human beings with whom I would like to have this conversation, whom I trust to have this conversation, because it will spark something and also lead to a higher conversation, what all of this means, then these two human beings were you. So I thought I can trustfully throw this big question at you and um, see what happens. So thank you for joining me in that. A simple deck of cards can be a brilliant way to engage a group. You can use them to stimulate thought, inject energy or spark lively conversations. But how can you use cards when you're facilitating virtually? Deckhive.com is a brand new platform that enables you to use cards on screen just as you would face to face. Invite people to a shared real-time session and then let them select, move and flip cards over. Our growing library includes many popular card decks, including picture cards, strengths cards, emotion cards and more. But if we don't have what you need, you can even create your own deck really easily. Use the code WORKSHOPSWORK when you subscribe to a paid monthly plan and you'll get the first month completely free. Go to deckhive.com and give it a try. And what is still puzzling me is this question of escalating and choosing what it's worth to explode for. And there are parts of me that agree. Yes, there, um, for instance, if one human being is attacking, invading a sovereign country, yes, this asks for war. We cannot, we cannot sit down and ask for peace and just watching things happen. On the other hand, when is the moment where it is worth to... So if someone beats up my child, what is my responsibility in escalating it by then exploding and contributing to it or pausing and investing a moment of de-escalation, empathy, or the Christian value of holding my other cheek? So, and I think this can even be true. We don't even have to look at the big scale of almost a global war, I don't want to call it a world war, but even in our daily encounters, we do have a choice to escalate or to not to. And how do we know? I love the how do we know, because I don't even think we know when we do something that it'll be an escalation necessarily, because I can't know what will push you over, right? I can't always know what will push you over or what will bring you closer. That's why I go to the piece of, that's why it's so important for us to know us and to know like, oh, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm not willing to do. But what I think we, we've gotten so caught up in is making everybody else responsible for us in this culture where we you know, are so maybe hypersensitive, oversensitive around the triggers around trauma, <laughs> like we want everybody else to be responsible for us than us. And nobody can ever get it right for us <laughs> because nobody really, no, nobody else is our God, right? Nobody knows what we really need or how to do that. And so I think a lot of the conversations we have around even standing for something may be seen as one person is escalating, you know, lots of people talked about, you brought up Black Lives Matters after George Floyd's murder. Lots of people who were there in the place were talking about these people escalating when they were just standing there. 
but their presence seemed like escalation. And so I think that we have these different things that are happening and we're trying to navigate the best that we can. Now, when you ask the question, it was around, I want to bring it back to the facilitation Mm. and in a room. And what does all of this that's happening in the world have to do with facilitation? One of the things that I've been doing when I have these conversations, I was holding these conversations about let's be curious together around race, is I actually spent most of the time trying to keep people from dialogue and sending them into themselves side by side. Because we can have a lot of wonderful experiences in community, exploring side by side, that brings us depth and connection that isn't the throwing them into dialogue first without tending the field of what's mine and, and how do I really feel about this? And because when we go into dialogue, often what we do is we're trying to convince each other, you know, and we're either, I love John Marshall Roberts said, there's three ways to move something. Body to body is force. Mind to mind is persuasion and spirit to spirit is inspiration. And we tend to want to do it in that dialogue in that mind to mind place instead of stepping into the spirit to spirit to move something. And it's really hard to, to convince somebody in a mind-to-mind way in in those places, right? But if we're side-by-side and we're taking our own journeys, and I not only can experience my own growth and learning, but I can see yours, it changes it. So how do you invite that, Quinita? So the way I invite it. What do you like to rely on to, to begin to invite that? Yeah. So part of like how I invite it, like I love doing story triads where you'll have one person tell a story about something, another person be the deep listener. Their only job is to listen with open heart, open spirit, open mind. And the third person is to harvest something. And so like one of the activities I do is I have people harvest places in the story where the person was seen or not seen or heard or not heard. If you notice any way that maybe class played a role in what happened in the story. And then what we do is we don't have them talk about it afterwards. I go around and interview. So I've interviewed all the storytellers. How did it feel to tell your story? Because then what we start to learn is what we're really asking of people when we ask them to share their stories. And then I, I talk to the listeners. How did it feel to just listen? That it's, listening is hard. You know, like it takes a lot to just sit and listen and not like be in conversation or want to tell them to do something. Or, and then the person who was the harvesting, what did they learn? And so we can learn a lot together in that that then helps us when we go in to those places to know, number one, if I'm asking somebody their story, what am I asking of them? You know, how do I practice that listening a little better? And what else might be in play that I'm not aware of because I'm not paying attention to it? I ask the question because one, it's good to hear that again. And of course, and two, because I think it, it somehow pulls us back to some values and some steps When I look at what I do, and that's often what we do, Quinita, there's a few things here. We're pretty deliberate, and you just named one of the ways to do that. We're pretty deliberate about bringing people into relationship. And the principle, like start there, of course, what's your story? I'm being flippant about how to ask that. I think there are skillful ways about how to invite that and invoke that into a room. The principle behind it to me is that in our relational 
quality with one another, that is where we find robustness. So if you're looking for something robust and resilient, then emphasize the relationship with one another. That's another way of saying the soft stuff is the hard stuff, I think, right? So yay. And then I find myself coming back to this dynamic that is not new, meaning I think we as human beings, maybe this is what Tennyson tries to do, you know, what I try to do and invite with others. We're in a think global way and yet act local way. That's the catchy slogan that's been around for a long time. It matters that we're, I think, aware of bigger context. And yet often the action is right here, right now. So in the example, I don't want to speak it too lightly here at all, of Ukraine and aid, one step is in a global way is to offer some aid. You know, there are organizations through which you can offer some funds, resources, et cetera, that help in a refugee exodus way. That's one thing to do. That's an act. And then another act, I, I would say unrelated to that, but still connected, is you hold the door open for the person behind you at the grocery store. You know, it's that kind of stuff. That's a little contribution of like a ripple into some goodness and kindness. So, you know, it might have been that that an older school of facilitation was, well, let's get the work done and let's be fast, let's be efficient. And there are contexts where that is exactly what we ought to do, right? More and more, however, and it's definitely where my heart lies, is I want to bring people into first that deeper quality of relationship so that we might look at and explore differently the things that are before us, whether they be the huge things or the things that we need to accomplish by the end of this week. All of that, I suppose, is a a plug for the relationalness. Yeah, Tennyson, and when you were speaking, what I was thinking is, yes, we do that first, right? We do the connection. And then I guess the example I was talking about before is when you have to have the tougher conversations. So the relational piece goes first, because then it helps you to witness and be in those tougher conversations with each other. And it made me think of, I was listening to Dr. Bruce Perry recently talking about brain science. And one of the things that he said is, you know, the shadow side of the brain is that it moves to go to create other. It creates tribes and creates other in an effort for survival. But the light side of that same part of the brain, right, is that it helps us to make connections quickly with each other, with strangers, because we're trying to create other, right? We're trying to create our tribe fast. And so knowing that it's like we can use that piece also in the work, right? That's why when we share stories, we often will find really quickly, oh, I have this in common or you know, this is like this because we're, our brains are designed to, to grab those things out. And so I think that that's one of the ways that facilitation does help to support, you know, the changing of, or can support the changing of who we are as a whole, you know, because once we know each other, even the beginning layers of it, it can change how I'm in relationship with others outside of that room. 
And I think this is why the exercise you explained becomes so powerful by listening, being invited to listen to someone's story with a special focus. I think we cannot not start relating to this person. As you said, because we we constantly project and we try to find commonalities in order to build bonds and to see whether we can trust. And if someone shares something vulnerable, I think it's very human. It's instinctive to end up trusting them. And then the only question is, how do we get people to open up and to be vulnerable so we can end up trusting them and build these relationships. So how do we talk to assholes? Yeah. See that that's there's a there's a big question, Miriam. And I would say that there's no promise. There's no guarantee that people will show up, right? But what I've learned is if I show up with my honest vulnerable self, there is greater likelihood that other people will also mm -hmm. show up with that. Sometimes it's in the words, sometimes it's in the story, sometimes it's just in the energy. Like, oh, there's an honest person. Maybe I can just be, you know, this much more open with what I share into the group. So yeah. I, I don't think there is a promise of, you know, now everybody's everybody's going to be open, honest, vulnerable, real, etc. And that might not even be the goal. I, I just want people showing up real and in moving in the direction of more real rather than less real. And it, it seems like the biggest thing I can do is that, I mean, this is, this is why I'm saying it because it points back to the inner work narrative. If I can show up with all of that, I've done that so many times where I feel like, you know, I'm just speaking honestly. And then someone will come up to me after and say, oh my gosh, you were so brave in sharing that vulnerable story. I wasn't trying to be brave and vulnerable. I was just trying to be honest. You know, when we've done some of that work, I think it invites it in others. I think that first it's the why do we want them to show up as, as an important why is always important to me. I get curious about that. You know, we have a person who we're struggling with. I think I'll just put that to the side. And then it goes back to what I said about three ways to move something. The spirit to spirit piece. Mm. We often will talk about how as humans we're connected to each other. Well, I always ask, well, what the hell does that mean in real life? Like, what does that mean? It means that if I can get me wholly in the room, if I can get all of me present in that moment, my soul commands you to meet me there. You don't even have a choice whether to show up or not. Now, it takes a lot to get to that place, right? But that's what it means to be connected as humans. Mm. You know, I've had people say, say to me, I don't even know why I just told you that story, right? Because it's that place. And we've seen this happen with people who like are really, you know, agitated. And then somebody just comes and they're just calm and they just go to them. There's this story that this goes around on a meme on Facebook. And it's this older woman who's on the train or on the bus um, subway and there's a guy and he's just ranting and he's all, and you know, he's maybe high on something they don't know, or is having some type of mental kind of crisis and everybody's kind of afraid of him. And she just reaches out and holds his hand. And then he starts crying, you know, that kindness. And she just said that, like, if he was my son, I would want somebody, he just needed to be touched, mm. you know, like she wasn't afraid of him. She just showed up. And it touched him. 
in more than a physical sense. And that we don't realize we have that kind of power with each other. Yes. And which makes me think that instead of asking, how do we talk to assholes is how can we relate to, how can we touch them and not hit them? <laughs> Beautiful. And I think Tennyson has a big piece. And one of the things he says often is this piece about, can you connect with that part of yourself? Mm. You know, you know, my anything that a human is able to do or capable of doing is in all of us. Yeah. Thank you. And I'd like to move staying in the same sphere, but coming to group work and holding space. There's one conversation we had in the community was how do we hold space for such big topics that might affect some more than others when we work with groups. So we can invite to talk about it, to listen. And then what is our role to open the space, not to impose ourselves and our own need to talk about it or to ignore it? And where do we set the boundaries or feel the boundaries so that what's happening in the world is not taking over the session because to be honest there's always something happening in the world it's not the first war it's not the last war and to be very honest looking around we haven't spent as much thought and compassion when the war in syria broke up mm. so How working with groups, how do we deal with such a situation and how do we hold the space and balance the space for our groups? What are your observations or advice? We always give attention more to places that don't aren't places of people of color. And so the piece around Syria with that we haven't paid the same attention or the wars in Africa, we don't pay the same attention to. You know, this isn't new. We pay attention when it happens to people that we see as Eurocentric people. <laughs> and I would just say, that, and having the harder conversations, part of it is that we have to be willing to tell the truth, you know, that we have to be willing to, like one of the things I said to Tennyson when he first asked me about what was happening in the Ukraine was I said, You know, we act like we all aren't living on land that has been colonized. You know, at one point we were Russia, right? Wherever we are pretty much. And so like, how do we grow our capacity to hold more and more of parts of the whole? Now we never will be able to hold all of it. And even knowing that, even knowing that it's just too much, the, you know, the complexity of all that goes into play. But if we want to have those conversations, it's about having conversations in a way that we're able to grow our capacity to hold more and more of the complexity that each thing is. I can speak to it pretty simply and want to right now, because you're asking a question, Miriam, about you know, how to shape some of these spaces. And I know that there are a few things that I rely upon. One is, generally, I try to rely on a clarity of invitation. What am I inviting you to come into this room for? Is it to solve a problem? Is it to witness each other? That doesn't mean that some 
spaces, even though invited for one purpose, won't be hijacked for another purpose. But I feel like I get to play a role in trying to shape or deliberately adapt to that also. And I know that I rely on a very basic question with one another when the intent is, could we just be witnesses with one another? And often that question will be something like, what's it like to be you? And I'm using circle, I'm relying on circle, whether it be simultaneous small circles or one big circle together. But I'm asking the question, what is it like to be you? Or what is some of what it's like to be you? And sometimes it has a little extra on the question, what is it like to be you as you think about what is going on in Russia slash Ukraine right now? What is it like to be you as you think about economic disparity? What is it like to be you as you think about the challenges facing our school system and our kids right now? So what I'm noticing in my work that I think has intensified is that people both want and need a space for that kind of witness with one another. And that alone is a big accomplishment, right? What did we do tonight? Oh, we created a space for that kind of listening. So I'm relying on those kind of things. What's it like to be you is a favorite go-to question that I will reword and nuance in different ways, but it feels like it's the same question. I think one of the things too, Tennyson, that you often will speak in the space that we hold is when we're holding circle, you know, we really talk about the putting things in the center. Mm-hmm. Not everything has to be answered or is a conversation. We can just put it in the center and together hold it. That way it's not, you know, it's not a cross conversation across the circle. It's just, I need to speak this here. And that, that allows for the witnessing as well that you're speaking of, Tennyson. Yeah, it welcomes it. It amplifies it as purpose. And I think this is something that we often forget, even when we are with one other person, Mm -hmm. that very often this other person or ourselves, we actually don't need to be in a conversation. We don't need a reply, response, or advice. We just need to speak to the space, (laughs) or if there is a center between two people. I relate to that. I think I do that really well, except for when I really care about the person. I think it's harder for me to do it then. Mm. You know, I think that again, as the, and I, I guess it's just a noticing of how relationship affects how we can hold that space in the center. That's why we rather get into fights with our loved ones because we suddenly give unsolicited advice or have the impression that we are supposed to or even entitled to solve their problems. <laughs> That's good. And there's I think a good assumption we... to check. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, there's a good assumption to check that you named. Miriam. And even the assumption <laughs> that when we know somebody, like we think like, we forget to listen in a different way of not knowing them because we so think we know them. Right. (laughs) And then something comes up and it's like, that's not you, (laughs) you know? And so to really like allow for that space for us, for them to be different each moment, even. What would you speak to the center and the audience as final reflections? Yeah. About Yeah, as a way of checking out here is kind of how I hear it. 
I think one thing for me is, Miriam, it's an appreciation of you, first of all. You know, you are, you got a lot of things going and you're, you're an organizer and you're a podcast welcomer. So your act of inviting conversation, wonder, thinking about it to me is a significant thing. So I want to just say, just say that out loud, first of all. And then the second thing for me is when we started, I think, uh, Miriam, you expressed a few words about welcoming us back. And then I was remembering, oh, that's right. You know, we've done, we've had a few conversations along the way, a few recordings along the way, but you welcomed us back. And uh, I actually heard that in a, almost a tender way, like something in me got a little tenderized there as I thought about being welcomed back. And as a general principle, any of us welcoming and, you know, welcoming each other back into a space or back into a wonder, back into more of ourselves, uh, that's a pretty powerful little practice there. So those are my closing thoughts, words that are steered a little more towards you, Miriam, and what you're inviting and practicing and contributing here. I think it matters, and I'm glad to be able to contribute and participate a bit and Quinita with you in, in this version of it to be able to do some of that together. That's me for today. I think I'll piggyback a little bit on what you said, Tennyson, because not only did I hear the welcome back, but welcome back into the deeper question. Hmm. You know, you had spoken about like who to ask this question and that you selected us to do that with. And so that just feels important and just delicious to me (laughs) because I like swimming in kind of those places. I also just love your curiosity, your curiosity around even bringing together these bigger like heart issues facilitation and how they're connected, and how what we do matters or doesn't. Those questions to me are important questions that I continue to ask as well. And of course, being able this time not to just be you and I, but to have Tennyson, to have the two of us, because a lot of our work we do do together. And so to be able to hold it, and for me to get another layer of, oh, he's holding this piece, or we've talked about that a bit, but it shows up a little bit different to me now. And so I got new information in the conversation too. So thank you. Mm, Thank you. And I'm glad that I dared to ask this question to you because I am both of our, so my conversations with both of you separately and when we were together without recording have always left a deep inspiration and wondering. And It's similar today. And what I like about the energy when the two of you come together, it's like bringing the spiritual and the worldly together. So it's you're like in a constant dance with each other and challenging each other's ideas sometimes and sometimes certainly building on each other's ideas or bringing light on one aspect and then the other comes in and shows the light into another aspect of a topic and how you, I assume that it's consciously or intuitively decide to pick up some topics and things that you have said and just leave others where they are. And I think it's very inspiring just to witness 
this dance between the two of you and how you complement each other and help me to better understand yeah, the role of what does facilitation mean in times like these? And what do they have to mean, can mean, and must not mean? And what is the bigger picture, the spiritual picture? So I want to thank you. Share this with me on behalf of the audience. Thank you. I appreciate that witness. Awesome. Thank you. And I don't like to have the final word. I would like <laughs> to invite you to share a gift with the audience in mm. form of a question. So what is the question you would like, you would invite the audience to leave this conversation with? I'll share my question that I live into every day. What if everything really is in divine order? Do you believe that? How would you walk through the world differently? How would you treat people differently? What questions would you ask differently? Yeah, yay for that question. Mine intuitively comes as a version of, so who are you really? And what does all the ordinariness in your life have to do with who you are really in the big picture of things? These are places that I love to meet people in. Thanks for today. Thank you. Thank you for staying tuned and listening to the show. I appreciate your attention as I know how busy you are. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and engage by sharing your comments and thoughts and visit workshops.work to download the one-page summary. I'm looking forward to seeing you back at the next episode and I wish you a fruitful day.